Hey, so good to be with you guys. By the way, I got a few requests uh, with all the storms happening in Cape Town, fairly extreme conditions. A lot of people are suffering with um, poor shelter, food crises. And if you want to um, serve, if you want to do something, a good uh, option is warehouse.org.za, a Christian organization in the southern suburbs. Uh, you can get hold of them. And then if there's anyone in this church that would like to spearhead um, when relief um, opportunities for Signal Church, there's only a few of us on staff, and none of us have got that on their portfolio. So if like, crisis hits the city, maybe one of you want to just come to us and say, hey, I'll be, that per- I'll be the point person between connecting this community to practical solutions in the city. You could, come, you could come talk to me. This week, I was talking to one of my five children. True story, I have five children. Um, you have to see it to believe it. I still am shocked by the sight of five human beings that come from my wife's body. I saw them coming out of my wife's body, so they are definitely legit. Um, and uh, if I recall, I put them in there. And anyway, sorry, that wasn't part of my message. <laughs> sorry, Julie. <laughs> but I was talking, I was talking to um, Sam. Hey, Sam, stand up. So they know who we're talking about. Sam is my mini-me. Looks like me since he's got glasses, got hair. Yeah, yeah. Come on, my mini-me. Would you say he's my child? Have we got a... Anyway, I was saying to Sam, Sam, this week at bedtime, Sam, I'm so proud to be your dad. And he said, Dad, I'm so proud to be your son. And then he said, Dad, you're the best dad in the whole world. And then he knew what I was thinking. I was thinking, all kids say that to their dads. So then he goes, Dad, I know that all the children say that to their dads, but that's their opinion. I'm just speaking the facts. (laughs) So just the facts from Sam. So I want to speak to you about why and how to pray. Why and how to pray. And... um, (laughs) And um, I'm pr- we're going through the, and then I missed, that's Levi, if you were here last Sunday, uh, he got dedicated, hey, and it was such a celebration of, of um, the child of signal in many ways. I don't know of a child that has got more community involvement than, than Levi of, of Sue, and um, it was such an exciting Sunday last Sunday that I missed, but if you were here. So I'm speaking about why and how to pray from Genesis chapter 18, and we're going through the story of Abraham. The story of Abraham. In Signal Church, we love God's presence. We also love the Bible, which is why we preach from it every time. And um, last week, you heard that uh, Abraham is chilling out where three men rock up at his tent, and he basically hosts them. And it turns out that these men are not men, they're angels. In fact, one of the men may be God. It's a mysterious text. I'm going to speak about that a little and then this, the, the message comes to them, in a year's time, you're going to have a child. Bang. Okay, so we pick up there. Because what happens next is these three angels have been hosted, they've eaten, and then they start to leave. But listen to this. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom. Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. 
For I've chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. It's a fascinating passage. I was listening to Leanne's message last week, um, yesterday, and in it she says, I'm Leanne and I'm a budding theologian. And I love that because my prayer for every one of God's children is they would be a budding theologian. See, we're all theologians. You've all got ideas in your head about God. The question is, are you a good theologian? (laughs) What are those ideas? How much are they informed by Scripture? How much thinking have you done about the God who's revealed in Scripture and the God who's revealed in Jesus Christ? So let me just do something for budding theologians and notice something interesting in this passage. God is infinite, right? He doesn't have a body. He is spirit. But here he's revealing himself in human terms. I mean, he's taking on the representation of human form. And then the other thing is God knows everything. I mean, that's part of what it means to be God. But he says this, I will go down and see if it's as bad as the outcry. Seems like he's got limited knowledge. So how do we make sense of this for budding theologians? Now, just to um, dazzle you with my years of theological education, I'm going to throw out a big term. It's the term anthropomorphism. Okay, it's a big word, but if you break it down, anthro means human, and morphism means shape. Human-shaped. When something that's not human represents itself with a human shape, that's called anthropomorphism. And these passages are anthro, uh, examples of anthropomorphism. And what am I doing wrong? I did too many isms. Jeez, I, okay, so I didn't dazzle you. I just dizzied myself. <laughs> Why does God do this? Why does a God who is without body take on a human body? Why does a God who knows everything speak to humans in a way as if he doesn't know everything? And the answer is beautiful. God is reaching into our frame of reference. He knows that we're finite, we're limited, and he wants to relate to us, so he relates to us so that we can relate to him. He's drawing us into conversation like he's drawing Abraham in. Uh, In the Reformation, which happened in the 1500s, one of uh, a fantastic theologian in the church, he made some mistakes in his theology, as we all do. John Calvin grappled with the way that scripture attributes to God a mouth, ears, eyes, hands, feet. And he said, we shouldn't take these terms literally. And then he said this, he says, as nurses do with infants, as parents do with little children, God lisps when speaking to us. Have you ever seen that? If any of you go up to a little child, you don't speak normal English, you speak baby English. All of us do it, it's a deep instinct. And the reason we're doing this, John Colvin says, God lisps when speaking to us. Such forms of speaking do not so much express clearly what God is like as much as they accommodate the knowledge of him to our small capacity. To do this, he must descend far beneath his loftiness. So here you've got an example of God who is not human, 
taking on the form of human. A God who knows everything, coming across like he doesn't know everything because he's pursuing relationship with us. He's condescending beneath his loftiness, to use John Culver's language. He's lisping. He's speaking baby language to us because next to him we are like babies. Okay, so if you're a budding theologian, did that feel good? Huh? Anthropomorphism, you learned a new word, a new idea. I've got two questions in this message. Number one, why pray? Number two, how to pray? Super practical message. So number one, why pray? When we pray, God may share his secrets. When we pray, God may share his secrets. Abraham's walking with God, and God says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? But Abraham sticks to God like a magnet. He's hosted them in his home. He walks them to the door, but he doesn't just wave them off. It says that he walks along with God. He keeps company with God. And then after keeping company for some time, God suddenly shares secrets with him. First, there's a repeat of the promises over Abraham's life. Secondly, God tells him that he is just, what he's deciding to do with these wicked cities in the valley below. And these kind of stories, God sharing his secrets with Abraham, who's hanging out with God, gave Abraham in the Bible the famous name, the friend of God. You know you're someone's friend when, they, when you can hang out with them and then they tell you secrets. And God reveals his secrets to Abraham in a personal and a relational way. I love Psalm 25 verse 14. The Lord confides his secrets in those who are in awe of him. It motivates me to want to spend time with God. Um, goodness, my life is busy. Goodness, I'm distracted by the internet because there's always something to do. You know, you don't need to be bored. You can get just a dopamine hit, social media too. You, you, you can actually go through your day feeling quite happy and you haven't spent any time with God. But I'll tell you what you missed out on. Okay, you learn a lot of stuff happening in the world and opinions. You missed out on the secrets. You missed out on keeping company with God. I want to plead with us as God's people. I'm speaking to myself. Remember to spend time with God because he wants to share his secrets with us. Yesterday, I had a bath in the middle of the day. I never do that. And I was actually purposely just thinking that I'm preaching on this message. I need to like spend more time with God. So I was like, bath, time with God, close the door, <sighs> solitude. And I was praying. I felt God sharing secrets with me, little whispers, little clues. Oh, imagine I just missed that. Okay, so when we pray, God may share his secrets. Number two, when we pray, God may share his compassion. When we pray, God may share his compassion. God says to Abraham, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great. Now, Abraham is on top of a hilltop. He lives there. And down in the plains below, there's his capital city, Sodom and Gomorrah. They're far off. He looks at them. They're not industrialized. He can't hear anything. He just sees, like, you know, homes and some movement. But can't hear anything. But God is looking down and he is saying there is a deafening noise coming to me from those cities. There is a cry. It's a cry coming from the victims, the children, the women, the slaves, the aged, the foreigners. It's rising to his ears with quadraphonic alarm. God can hear the cry of the victim. He can hear the pain in the heart that everybody else is missing. Uh, 
two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I, on Table Mountain, one of my lifelong friends got remarried. And uh, on Table Mountain, cool, so you hike up the mountain, and then we do the, the wedding. And um, one of my favorite stories ever of Dom Barnard is when we were in our 20s, like walking along in the suburbs one night in, in Milneton, pitch dark, and we're walking past this field talking, and he suddenly says, keep quiet. So I'm like, huh? He goes, listen. So I'm like, I can't hear a thing. He is, he is utterly distressed. Next thing, we're in this dark field. He says, listen. I, I thought he was losing his mind. I couldn't hear a thing. For about five minutes, he's going left, right, wait, and he's moving. We find a little baby kitten in distress in the corner of a field. He had heard the cry of a baby kitten. I couldn't hear anything. And I often think of that story. It's like, what are the things we're deaf to that, that God can hear? The cry of distress. The cry of distress. And, um, you know, Abel's blood is on the ground and God says, what have you done, Cain? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Hagar is so utterly dejected. She she's can't even pray. She's so dejected. And that God comes to her and says, the, your cry of distress has come to me. It means a lot to me, by the way. There are times when I'm in so much pain that I can't even give voice to it. I can't even name my pain. I mean, that's why people go to someone like Rene, who's a psychologist. You can name your pain. Tell me what, tell me what, how did that make you feel? I mean, it's such a gift when people draw that out of you. But even when you can't say it, God can hear it. He cares about your pain. It really is one of the most beautiful things I notice with those who've got prophetic gifts. They're prophesying over someone. And, and what's being revealed is such intimate concern of a father for a child. The victims cry out. The victims cry out. And as we draw close to God, the things that break God's heart could break ours too. God is teaching Abraham to hear the cry too. God's heart is filled with compassion and and Abraham, after this time of talking with God, is walking away feeling concerned about what concerns God. Uh, not so long ago, we lived in a culture of indifference. If it's not affecting my family, it's not my problem. Culture of indifference. Now we live in a culture of outrage. Social media has made it possible for all day long, if you want, the algorithms will, who know you better than your mother knows you, your algorithms have figured you out, right? You're on social media, and they are feeding you stuff they know gets under your skin because in the past you've clicked on it and you stayed on it for a while. They're like, ah, oh, I know what irks this person. Because the algorithm's just interested in you staying on that website. That's, it's doing its job and makes you just click the next one. You can live in a, a state of outrage, a culture of outrage. And of course, the consequences of a cult culture of outrage are multifaceted. On the one hand, I mean, it can raise awareness about important issues. It can mobilize communities. It can drive social change. On the other hand, it can also lead to a divisive and polarized society. Uh, to the stifling, it, 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 can, it can stifle constructive dialogue. It can promote hostility. It can foster a climate of constant moral judgment. And we so desperately need to practice critical thinking, fact-checking, empathy, 
See, by approaching social media content with a measured and discerning mindset, we can often avoid being caught up in the whirlwind of outrage and contribute to a more meaningful and constructive conversation and one that doesn't just get you all heated, that could actually lead to productive change. And then I want to suggest that it's important that you, that, that, all the time you spend in social media, whatever got under your skin, you then take that to God in prayer and, let, and filter it through that. And he might give you some perspectives. He might give you some perspectives on that. Because not everything that outrages you is necessarily outraging God. <laughs> or, or there's a way of bringing outrage in your life that is more like when we make a lot of fires in winter and my kids throw like an exam pad in there and this thing flares up. Whoosh! A lot of light, but very little heat. A lot of energy, but no change. It's almost like the enemy, he doesn't mind if you're indifferent or you're mad as hell, just as long as nothing productive comes off your life towards actual needs in the world. But when you pray, God is able to break your heart with what breaks his. I keep on forgetting how much it matters to God that people don't know him. I keep forgetting and I often walk out into my backyard. Every time I look up at the Southern Cross, it's pointing to, um, sorry, I look, there's the pointers, the two stars pointing to the Southern Cross. And the Southern Cross, the cross, the pointers. And now for a few years, I look up and every time almost I look at the sky, I'm reminded of something God once said to me, Taryn, you need to be like the pointers pointing people to the cross. And just in that snappy little moment of prayer, in a night when I'm trying to escape the craziness that is my house, um, I'm reminded God really cares about people that don't know him. And um, Signal Church is a church for people that do know him, that need a home. Yay! Signal Church is a church for people who don't yet know him, but they'll come to know him. And we're, we're their family. We're their family. So when we pray, God may share his secrets. When we pray, God may share his compassion. When we pray, God may act in power. Abraham understands he's going to negotiate with God. I'm going to read it to you. He's going to negotiate with God. He understands that the universe is not closed. It's true that God is on a throne and he's in control. This doesn't mean that he has scripted the future in a way that all you must do is accept it. Abraham doesn't think like that. Abraham thinks of himself as a friend with God. He's got influence with God. He can collaborate with God in the unfolding of events. Abraham knows that he is called to bless the whole world, and that blessing the world starts in praying for the world. By praying, God can do things in the world that he wouldn't have done if none of his friends spoke to him about it. So when we pray, God may act in power. And for the rest of my message, I want to speak to you about what kind of praying causes God to act in power? Let me just quickly run through the story. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of the, all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. <laughs> now that you've been so bold as 
Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is um, five less than 50? <laughs> Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, God said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only uh, 40 people are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. God replies. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 people can be found there? He's jumped over 35. I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just one more time. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. He should have gone on to pray for five. There weren't 10 righteous people in the city. It still gets destroyed. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. So we learn some things about praying in a way that gets God to act. And I've got seven quick tips for you. Number one, pray secretly. Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Abraham is all alone with God. It's important that we pray together with other believers. Yes, all of you are invited to come at nine o'clock instead of 9.30. Nine o'clock, we pray at the back. It's actually one of the only times in the week where I'm like usually praying with believers every week. Come at nine o'clock. It's, it's, there's a, you learn how to pray. You Praying things you're going to see get answered in the next two hours. Very cool experience. You learn how to pray by praying with people. But notice, Abraham is also praying alone. Jesus says, when you pray, go into the room, close the door. We also need to pray alone. We generally are scared of being alone. But when you realize that being alone is an opportunity to be with God, it's not so scary. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Solitude is a very important part of the human experience. It's a very important part of life. If you are struggling with your mental health, probably less solitude for you. <laughs> Get with some people. But, but as, an, as a matter of health, we need to also learn to be alone to be alone with God. Jesus so often got alone with God. I don't know how much deep progress you can make in your spiritual formation without building solitude into your life. Yeah. Secondly, pray longer. It says Abraham remained. Abraham stuck around long enough for the things to get interesting. I know it's a short passage, but you get the sense Abraham's prayer lasted for hours. Sometimes when we pray, we're praying quick prayers. Go, go, go. Praying on the run but we also need to seek out extended times of prayer. How many times have we cut our praying just five minutes short of a special breakthrough or blessing? Charles Spurgeon, he said this, if only we had remained longer at the palace door, we might have seen the king come out with a benediction in his face and a gift in his hand. Pray longer. You can pray short. You can pray throughout the day, but see if you can Pray a bit longer. Thirdly, pray humbly. Pray humbly. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, Abraham enjoys a familiarity with God, but he is never over familiar with God. He keeps on remembering that God is infinitely great and holy, and he carries a humbling sense of his own frailty and sinfulness. Some people think we don't pray more because we're not disciplined enough. And maybe discipline's not such a bad thing. We could be just, you know, stick with the plan. Okay, I'm going to pray Tuesday afternoon at the forest. 
So, so you can just put in the diary and make it happen, yes. But I suspect lack of discipline is not the problem. I suspect lack of dependency is the problem. We don't pray that much because actually in our heart of hearts, we don't feel we need it. And Abraham carries a deep sense of his need for God. The more progress you make in your walk with God, the more you accept the feelings of weakness. We kind of think, oh, if I make real progress in my walk with God, I will feel strong the whole time. Actually, actually, you come into touch with your own need, your own frailty, your own failures. And that drives you to pray. Number four, pray boldly. Pray boldly. Abraham balances humility with confidence. Charles Spurgeon, I love this quote. This is a preacher in the late 1800s. He says, prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell for they pray so languidly. Others give but an occasional pluck at the rope. But he who wins with heaven is the person who grasps the rope boldly and pulls continually with all his might. Abraham's boldness comes from his knowledge of God. Abraham reminds God that he is righteous, he is merciful. Prayer is not about overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is taking hold of his willingness. So I say that one again. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is taking hold of his willingness. So when you pray, remind God of his character. When you pray, remind him of his promises. 1 John 5, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. And then number four, five, geez, my numbers are going wrong here. Okay, number five, sorry. Wrestle in prayer. Wrestle in prayer. Sometimes the only way to receive God's blessings for ourselves or for others is through intense wrestling prayer. Did you count how many times Abraham came back at God? Six times. Now, what was it? 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. That was six times he asked God to reveal his mercy. Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, ask, seek, and find. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and you'll receive. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. If you think about it, asking, there's an intensity to it, it, but it gets notched up with um, seeking, and it gets notched up with knocking. So Jesus is saying, you know, ask, and if that didn't work, seek, and if that doesn't work, notch up the intensity, knock. The bell that goes to heaven. Abraham's praying gets more intense. His prayers are also getting bigger too. First he starts off with asking for 50. But what he really wanted to ask for was 10. But he needed to work himself to that place of boldness. He comes back with waves of prayer. And the Bible has got many of these stories of people wrestling God's blessing out of his hands. You got Moses arguing with God. You got Job lashing out at God from a pained heart for the trial he underwent. You got Jacob engaging in an all night wrestling match with God that leaves him with a broken hip. 
Even Jesus struggled with God and his will in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, in all of these stories, we see a God who appears to welcome negotiation and even arguments from his people. He desires passion, not little platitudes when we pray. Sometimes when life is so unfair, you find yourself in the ring with God. There's no getting around the fact that you've got to wrestle with God. Tell him what you think. He is not scared of your complaints. He's not, com- he's not scared of your disappointments with him. Tell him. He's big enough to take it. Wrestle with him long enough so that you come out on the other side and the bitterness has been drawn out of your disappointment. You don't pop out jaded on the other side. There is a a hope that gets renewed in your heart. And number six, pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. Although Abraham exercises initiative in his time of prayer, God is the one who leads Abraham through this prayer. If you look carefully, it's God who puts the matter to Abraham. God talks with Abraham, and then God finally brings this conversation to a close. So there's this dynamic conversation happening. And when you pray, learn to pray in the Spirit. Ephesians 6 verse 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. I think it's the most important verse on prayer in the Bible. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Pray in the Spirit on on all occasions with all with all kinds of prayers. Pray in the Spirit. Pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Don't just stand there. Pray something. You're in the car. That's an occasion. Pray. What kind of praying? I don't know. Try another one. All occasions, all kinds of prayers. Make it interesting. Pray in the Spirit. Say, come Holy Spirit, lead my time of prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, guide me. Seek the presence and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. When we pray with the sensitivity to the Spirit, we can still expect God to bring some matters to our attention, to to place a prayer burden upon our heart, and to draw out our prayers. We're right near the end. Pray secretly, pray longer, pray humbly, pray boldly, wrestle in prayer, pray in the Spirit. Lastly, pray to the one who prays for you. Pray to the one who prays for you. I'm going to explain that. So let's remember, Abraham is praying with a particular person and family in mind. Lot is in the city of Sodom. Lot's wife, Lot's daughters. Abraham is actually thinking about them. Abraham is praying for Lot. Lot is oblivious to the fact that he is being prayed for. It's wonderful when people pray for you. I said this a couple of weeks ago. One of the great perks of being in a nightclub, which is our name for small groups, is you find yourself on this WhatsApp group. And then when you need prayer at 11.30 on Thursday morning, you let everybody know. And because there's only eight people in this WhatsApp group, there's some obligation. Gosh, I've okay, got to pray. You know? And there's prayer. And some people do this really well. They're like, I've been praying for you. They give you a scripture passage. Then they ask you afterwards, so how did it go? And then they thank the Lord. Having people pray for you. Can I just say something? Um, 
it would be so cool if you could get yourself into a nightclub because Sundays is wonderful, but, but to go deeper with some people, and let me, let me try sell it to you like this. You have no control over the trials that will come your way. There are trials coming your way. I hate that about life. I can't change that fact. I just got to accept it. There are trials coming your way. They're on the way. You've got no control of them. They're coming your way. But I'll tell you what you've got control over. Who the people will be in your life when those trials come. You can prepare for those trials by getting yourself into a community. People that pray with you pray for you. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make, I've got distracted there, is that Jesus is praying for you. Hebrews 7 verse 25, Jesus is praying for you, much like Abraham on the hilltop is praying for Lot. Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus is praying for you. It's cool that people pray for you. It's even more cool that Jesus is praying for you. In fact, we're told some of the prayers that Jesus is praying for you and the church. He's praying for our protection from the devil. By the way, do you believe in the devil? Because if you don't, you're far more susceptible to his snares. You've got to know your enemy. There is a devil. He's real. And uh, the same way God's got great plans for your life, he has got some terrible plans for your life. And good to know his intentions and his snares and his strategies. Jesus is praying for the preservation of your faith, Luke 22. Jesus is praying for the unity of the church. Jesus is praying for the effectiveness of the church. Please pray for the unity of Signal Church. We're a church that's wonderfully united. But... I've been in churches for a long time, and sometimes churches go through painful divisions of opinion. Something happens, and it can just cause a lot of pain. Um, nothing as wonderful as being a church when they're united. Nothing as agonizing as being part of a church when it's divided. Let's pray for the unity of Signal Church. Can you do that? I, I'm, I'm not saying anything divisive is happening. It's not. I praise God. I'm just saying let's be realistic. Pray preemptively. And, um, and let's pray for the effectiveness of our mission. Guys, we're in the middle of the city. We're here for a reason. We have a mission. Let's pray that we could fulfill that mission as a church. So, so we pray to Jesus. We pray through Jesus. But if Jesus is praying for us, we also pray with Jesus. We pray along the same lines. Can I say one more cool thing about Jesus? Remember anthropomorphism, when God takes on human shape. In the Old Testament, he does it temporarily. In the New Testament, he does it literally. He takes on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Talk about the ultimate lisp. And then Jesus does for his disciples exactly what God did for Abraham. He walks with them and he talks with them. And he says to them, I no longer call you servants because the servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from the Father, every secret I have made known to you. Jesus, our friend. Would you be a friend of God? Will you be friends with Jesus? Can I ask you to stand? And have the band on the stage. She says, I personally feel like we need a, a, like a, a sermon on prayer about like once a month. It's amazing how quickly that thing fades. <laughs> huh. 
you can forget to pray. You forget how to pray. But God's word is teaching us. God's word is teaching us. And, and I wonder, okay, so you've heard an interesting message. So what? What's it going to be for you? Is, is, are there going to be any differences in your life? If so, what? Do you want to just give that some thought right now? What? <laughs> you got this afternoon, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning. It's going to be just like it was last Sunday afternoon, last Monday morning. Or is it going to be something different? Let's not just be hearers of God's word. Let's be doers of God's word. What's going to be different? If you're in a nightclub uh, meeting this week, just be sure to tell people, uh, this is what I heard on Sunday. This is what it means to me. This is the difference that it's making. The cool thing is we don't have to just think about prayer. We can pray right now. So can I just suggest while the band plays, you go ahead and pray. Imagine you're in your room. The doors are closed. Go for it. Talk to him about anything. Pray in the spirit. This is an occasion with any kind of request. Do you want to talk to him about stuff? Do you want to tell him something? Do you want to ask him something? Why don't you take the the next two minutes? You can just do it in this place of prayer. You can pray a little loud if you're a talker. You can pray under your breath. Nobody's listening to you. You just pray.